0: I love the idea of being a missionary. I've always loved it. When I was 10 at school, we had to do a project on explorers. And my project was on Dr Livingstone, the the one from the quote... Dr Livingstone I presume and Dr Livingstone I thought was amazing because he went off to Africa and he just went to places no European had ever been to and he met tribes no one had ever seen from outside those tribes and I thought that was astonishing when I started the project but as I finished the project I discovered that this guy went to the far ends of the earth he got completely lost from the rest of humanity because he wanted to tell people about Jesus He was a man obsessed by Jesus and telling others about his life. And as I finished this project, my mum told me about another fella called Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor uh, grew up in England um, and he decided um, in his early 20s that he would go to China to tell them about Jesus. And when he arrived in China, he uh, looked like a Victorian gentleman. Uh, with sideburns. There's a great picture of him. He's a very Victorian gentleman. Sideburns and a uh, long coat. And, and the Chinese thought, not for us. Not for us. He doesn't look like us. He doesn't sound like this. Now, Hudson Taylor decided that to fit in, he would shave the front of his head because that was what Chinese men did at that time. He grew a ponytail and he wore the silk uh, clothes that the Chinese wore. And that act meant that they'd listen to him and heard him preach the gospel when I was 13 or 14 in our youth group there was a lady came uh who joined the youth leaders team and she was a very old lady she was astonishingly old as far as I can remember older than anyone I think I'd ever seen before but she was one of the youth leaders which seemed kind of cool and a bit weird and uh, she ran a Christian bookshop and I assumed that is what she'd done forever I assumed there'd always been a Christian bookshop and she'd always run it but one day she came and told her story and uh she had trained as a radiographer and at 21 she got on a boat to India and didn't come back for 27 years. <laughs> That's astonishing, isn't it? That's amazing. What an amazing decision to make before emails, before you could phone home. Her only contact with England was um, by letter and she just said, I'm going, I'm going to India to preach the gospel. And... Um, as I went through my teens, a guy, I remember a guy called Terry Virgo, who's kind of, who set up uh, New Frontiers and is sort of, has retired now. But uh, he said, one thing to do is to read Christian biographies. And so I set about in my teens reading stories of people like William Carey, whose wife and kids died as he went to, uh, is probably the first of the Protestant missionaries, they called the Father of Modern Mission, and he p- planted churches all over India. Men like Jim Elliot and his wife, Elizabeth, <laughs> I'm excited by missionaries, Elizabeth Elliot, Brother Andrew, all these people who thought, I'm going to go and change the world for Jesus. And I think I've always been excited by that idea of going to change the world, by going uh, with that astonishing zeal these people had for God's And I thought, that's what I want to do. I'm going to go to the mission fields. I'm going. I don't care where. I'll go to another country. I'll learn the language. I'll be like these people. I'll transform the world. And as I get into my 20s, I started reading other people's biographies, people like C.H. Spurgeon, William Booth, George Whitfield, the Wesleys, all of whom stayed in this country and became missionaries to their generation and the people around them. And suddenly it clicked. Do you know what? If you're a Christian, you're in a missionary wherever you are. I can be a missionary to Bishop's Cleeve. The people in Bishop's Cleeve are as lost as the people in India. I can be a missionary in Presbury. I can be a missionary here in Hester's Way. We can be a missionary wherever we are. And I know that is not a massive revelation. You all know that. But it is if we change when we change our mindset to think I'm going to be a missionary where I am. It changes our lives. And I think most of us want to live those radical lives. Most of us hear those stories of those astonishing people and think, I would like to be those people. I would like to be that radical. I would like to be that set apart. I'd like to live like them and see God do the things he did with them. So this morning we're going to look at that. We're going to look at can we be like them? Can we be missionaries in our nation, in our generation, as set apart, as astonishing as these men and women who have gone before us? So the first question missionaries need to ask is what is the religion of the people? What are the people like who I'm ministering to? So what I'm going to, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the prevailing religion in the UK today. You can guess where we're going with it. Uh, A guy called uh, Mark Sayers in his book, The Trouble with Paris, says that that, that all societies generally have two religions. A high religion and a folk religion. So the high religion is the religion that tells you the big questions of life. Why are we here? Uh, Where do we come from? Where are we going? Is there life after death? And the folk religion is the religion that people use to live their day-to-day lives. So if he says, if you went to Indonesia and you met a farmer there and you asked him, what religion are you? What religion are you? He'd say, I- I'm, I'm a Muslim. I follow Islam. But if you then saw him, he had a problem with his family or a problem with his crops, he'd immediately go to his ancestral worship. He'd immediately go to the rituals that he, that he'd been brought up with that were there long before Islam. And uh, Mark says that this says that this, is the prevailing thing around the world we have a high religion that answers the big questions and a folk religion that guides the way we live our lives so the question is, is do we have that in the west do we have that in the west another guy called Derek Worthington in his book The Call of Jesus says that for most people in the west they believe that there is a God most of your friends if you ask them will say there's a God there's a God but the God they picture is distant and aloof. N.T. Wright says the problem is that the word God simply doesn't mean to all people who use it the same thing and what is more most people in western culture today when they use the word, do not have in mind what mainstream well thought out Christianity has meant by it. So that's interesting when you say to your friends God they do not think of the same God that you think of. They think of this God in the clouds. He's probably got a beard, and he's but he's distant. And he might somehow be involved in the world in some way, but we don't really know him or her, or if it's a sort of force type of thing. And actually, while there is a God and maybe there's a heaven, probably there is a heaven for pets and stuff, um, but we don't really know anything about that God. We can't know that God. It's not possible to know that God. He's out there and different, and we don't know. Could be a force, could be anything. And so what happens then is that you have to have a God. We all have to have a God. We're built to have a God. And so what we do is we become God to ourselves. We become the uh, we become the plumb line of what is right and wrong. So if you ask someone, is someone good or bad, the judgment is, is he worse than me or better than me? Okay? We become the person whom we give worship and praise to we become the centre of our own worship and praise. And so the religion that we have is consumerism. You see, consumerism is all about feeding me. It's about worshipping me. It's about giving to me. When I feel bad, what do I do? I feed me, I worship me, I buy stuff for me. Um, It's fascinating. It's sort of come about this uh, in the last hundred years, probably, as as the predominant Western religion. I was reading an interesting article in the Huffington Post and I wanted to read it all to you but it'll probably take most of the morning so I won't. Just take a paragraph for it and they're talking about how consumerism is this overriding religion within society and they talk about advertising and they say this, the values being presented to a nation through major advertising come in all shapes and sizes. Constant images of happy, smiling, healthy people with buyable products, both insisting on a materialistic existence that promotes the idea that if you want fulfillment, you need to buy things. As a result, our worth is valued more and more by what we own as opposed to what we do. Who we are, self-gratification, is also excessively promoted by the advertising culture encouraging a focus on our own immediate desires as opposed to our religions, uh, our relations with others. Whenever displayed, family and friendship ties are seen as outlets for gift-giving. While intimate and traditional special occasions have been uh, mutilated into wholesale consumer events, not much is offered for the integrity of the self. Morality-reflective ref- morality messages are usually only found in charity ads, which... Although might be sincere, share the principal goal of encouraging some uh, partition with your finances. Thus, your worth still depends on what you can spend. And that's the consumer gospel. That's the society in which we live, where we have a distant God who doesn't care, who isn't interested, who I can't have relationship with, so I have me at the centre, constantly consuming to worship myself. It's not a massively fulfilling existence to live with that gospel. I was listening to uh, the radio this weekend. Uh, Richard Bacon was interviewing Stephen Merchant. And uh, Richard Bacon's is a radio presenter. Stephen Merchant is a comedian and comedy writer. And they're both pretty eva- evangelical atheists. And they describe, described in their conversation life like this. Life is absurd. One generation working hard, falling in love, getting married and having babies to create another generation to go through the same pointless cycle. Atheism! That's rubbish, isn't it? Isn't that a rubbish way to live? And yet most people just think, I'm going to live that way. That's how I live. I listened to a radio play this week as well where one of the characters described life. Life is like, where's Wally? But there's no Wally. There might well be a Wally in this picture. Um, it's going to be there for a minute, so you probably can have a look. Um, but atheism doesn't work. A life without God at the centre doesn't work. It's going. Um, so what we have in our culture is, is God, distant, me as God, and uh, re- uh, consumerism as my religion. What... Because we live in this culture and we come from this culture, what we I think we've seen is it seep into church and seep into the way we live our lives. And I think we see two effects on the church. Firstly, we see the gospel through the eyes of a consumer. And we replace the distant God of our folk religion with Jesus. He's there to answer life's big questions about life, but he's not involved in my daily life. He's powerless to change my day-to-day. He's not that important on a day-to-day level. He's there for holidays and big occasions and Sundays, but it doesn't affect the way I live day-to-day. We follow a folk religion day-to-day, working hard to buying bigger TVs, better cars, nicer houses, purchasing the best bride, spending thousands creating perfect progeny. When it comes to church, We ask, what's in it for me? We evaluate worship not based on, was God there? Not based on, did I praise God with all my heart? We base it on, I didn't really like it. Didn't know the rubbish songs. It's not my favourite worship leader. A bit dull today. That's how consumers evaluate worship. We criticise the preaching. I'm sure today that probably won't be the case. But we criticise the preaching. We say I don't really like his style. It's not really for me. Rather than saying did I hear from God? Was God there? Did I give my all to finding out a bit more about God? We moan about the leader. It's probably not you Howard, other leaders I imagine. People mo- <laughs> We moan about the leader. Why? Because we're consumers and the leader is there to give me stuff. We don't follow the example of uh, Jonathan's armor bearer and say, I'm with you heart and soul. We don't follow the example of Gideon's army who say, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. We don't follow the example of David's mighty men who said, we're going to go and get you a glass of water because that's what you want. You'd like that. (laughs) You would, man. In worship to Jesus. But we don't because we're consumers. And the leader, and we pay the leader and he should jolly well give us the stuff that we want right if church doesn't make me feel better about myself we bin it because it must be broken that's what consumers do we only go when it suits us if it doesn't clash with something better because i'm a consumer and if church on Sunday morning isn't the best offer on the table, well, of course I don't go. Church needs to get a lot better at offering something better. I go to the things I enjoy, and what it leads to is astonishing lethargy. I don't know about you, but I quite enjoy watching shopping TV channels. Absolutely love it. It's astonishing. No, no, no. It's an astonishing thing to watch people talk for hours about stuff which is clearly rubbish. It's an amazing thing but some of us do spend our Christian lives just sitting watching shopping channels going, no, nah, not for me. Threes, gone. I'll have a bit of threes. Mission community, I can go every so often. Prayer meeting, no thank you, change the channel. That's how we live our Christian life because we end up being consumers. And the second effect it has is that we sell a gospel that appeals to consumers. We make services shorter and shorter because that's what consumers want. We sugarcoat the unpalatable bit because that's what consumers want. We push visitor-friendly over Jesus' field. Our worship songs end up being about us, not about him. We don't mention sin or hell. We make the entry bar as low as possible. We have catchy phrases instead of gospel truth. We make Jesus into a trendy waiter. You know, come on, come on, come to the coffee shop, have a coffee. Hey, don't worry about the rules, it's all okay. No, don't worry about me, I'll just give you some coffee and it'll all be okay. Come on, come and enjoy Christianity. I don't think we want that. I think we want to raise ourselves from a consumer to a a folk religion, a consumer religion, to that higher religion, to relationship with Jesus, like we were singing today, and like Tara brought that cross-centred life. Of course, Paul, the Bible gives us the answer in Paul's words in um, 2 Corinthians. He says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again It's the gospel isn't it in a nutshell that jesus christ the son of god the maker of heaven and earth came down to earth lived a man's life and died on a cross for our sins and 3 days later was risen again overcoming sin and death and raised to the highest place that's the gospel but it's not the whole gospel because the whole gospel is that if we follow him we can go through the same we can die with him to our old way of life our old consumer religion and we can be raised with him to in raised up with him to new life to be seated with him in heavenly places it's an amazing gospel and it is actually our situation now that we're seated there with him in heavenly places but what we see with the gospel is often we're trying to live up to our new status. So Paul will often say we need to die to our old way of life. So while we have died with Jesus and been raised again, actually we know that we still do some of the stuff, the consumer stuff we did before. So we need to die to consumerism, we're inside and outside the church. We need to uh, die to lions, hanging out with our friends we need to die to buying the best and the biggest we die to holidays we die to doing whatever job we fancy we die to family we die to uh, consuming people as we want and we die to living where we want that sounds quite a lot quite big and Jesus is phenomenally gracious and often we get to have all those things anyway but that is not what we should be living for we need to put those things to death in our life and it is it, it, it is really hard as I wrote that list and me and Sarah were talking, I was going to put in, we died to sending our kids to the school we want them to go to. But I kind of felt it was a bit incongruous as we have, our kids have worked really hard and we have spent quite a lot of money on getting them into grammar schools. So that's interesting for us because we say, hang on, how am I living here? How am I living? Am I dead to the consumer world or do I believe that education will save my children? We've had quite a lot of discussions. Um, we don't know, you know. And you have to examine your own heart. But that is the gospel, that one died, so we all die. Paul says that we need to make that decision on a daily basis. Throughout his writings, he says we die to ourselves. We die to ourselves. And uh, as I've thought about it, I think actually often my quiet time is just about putting me to death and raising him up. And uh, when I have my quiet time, I often pray through the Lord's Prayer. So some of you will know it, uh, but I'm going to talk you through it. And I think the Lord's Prayer ends up being just an unpicking of me and putting me to death and replacing him. So it starts with our Father in heaven. So I put me to death and put him in charge. I put me being in charge to death. It goes on to say, hallowed be your name or praised your name. So I put to death any idea that I should be worshipped your kingdom come. I put to death any idea of building my own kingdom in in favor of building his. Your will be done. I put to death making decisions for me. I make decisions for him. On earth as it is in heaven. You know what heaven's like? He is at the center, a bright shining light. His voice like rushing waters. And uh, no, in unapproachable light and around him are tens of thousands of angels saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty the whole earth is full of your glory and the elders fall down and they say worthy is the Lamb who was slain his blood purchased men for God and then all the nations of the world bow down and say he is, uh, he is worthy to be praised that's what heaven's like and we say that's what we want on earth that's what I want in my life nothing but him nothing but him goes on to say give us this day our daily bread and that can sound like us asking for stuff but actually it's about saying do you know what i don't put my faith in my job my bank account my ability to earn money I put my faith in him to feed me i put that to death forgive us our trespasses we put our sin to death we put any idea of righteousness separate it from christ to death as you forgive us our trespasses trespasses against us we put the We put to death uh, sorry, as we forgive those who trespass against us, we put to death the idea of any sort of retribution that's a tough one, it's a tough one to pray that line and mean it I sometimes find in my quiet time suddenly God brings up something that happened to me ages ago and I go wow, I actually still feel angry with that person about that and we go no I put it to death for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory so we put to death any idea that I should have any kingdom I should have any power, I should have any glory, forever and ever. And I put all of that to death forever, with no hope of reviving it. The truth is, of course, the human heart's incredibly fickle. And if we don't do this on a practically daily basis, we very quickly return to the old folk religion of consumerism. After all, we're exposed to up to 3,000 marketing messages a day, all of them promoting the consumer gospel in which I am God and the world exists to service me. So it all sounds a bit heavy. <laughs> and you say, well, where's the grace? Paul, the truth is that as we put all of that to death, we are raised back up to life with Christ. See, the opposite of being a consumer is being a missionary. The opposite of saying all, all worship goes to me is saying all worship goes to him. The opposite of saying, I want is I give. The opposite of being consumer is being on mission. So Paul goes on to say, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. When we spend the day not viewing, um, when we spend the day not viewing Christ from a worldly point of view, it's, it's a brilliant feeling. You know that? You know that feeling when you actually go out in the day and think, actually, I'm living today for Christ. I'm not living it for me. It's absolutely the best. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new cre- creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And we start to experience life as we will do one day in heaven. I think it's an interesting thing. When you, um, when you read about the um, early disciples, they often rejoice after being tortured for Christ. Often, that's what they do. They rejoice. Paul says, I count it a pure joy. When you see them in prison cells, they're always singing praise and worship. That seems a strange thing to me. That seems an odd response to torture and imprisonment. But somehow they experience the death of themselves and the resurrection with Christ, and it brings them into a whole new realm with Him as they're raised up with Him. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Suddenly everything becomes about God, not about me. It all revolves around him. He reconciles us and gives us a mandate, a reason to live. Once you stop living to consume, you need another reason to live. Christ gives, us, gives you the ministry of reconciliation. An ex-drug dealer, a friend of mine, um, When he first became a Christian, he said, This life with Jesus is better than any drug I've ever taken. And he just, that was, it wasn't, that was just his testimony. And when we experience that, we want others to do the same. And so Paul goes on to say, God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to a message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, though God making his appeal through us. We appeal to you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We want to be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ. And every day there are opportunities for us to share the gospel. We have to put our old gospel to bed, the uh, to to death, the um, the gospel of uh, consumerism. Jim Elliott, one of the ministry, missionaries I uh, spoke about earlier, he um, went to he he spent six years uh, training, learning the language, to go and minister to some. Uh, to a tribe in South America. He was um, killed on the beach before he opened his mouth. Astonishing man. And uh, many years, a few years later, his wife and went back to the same tribe, which is even more brave if you ask me. And she got to preach the gospel and many of them became Christians. But Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. It isn't foolishness for us to give up consumerism because it's worth nothing. It leads to emptiness and unfulfillment and in the end it'll all go. It'll all be gone. Don't matter how nice your house is, how big your TV is, it'll all be gone. It's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's Jesus. So this wh- how do we respond to that, I guess is the question. and I guess there's two responses. One is um, we need to put the old self to death we need to put that consumer nature to death and for some of you I think as God has spoken to you through the worship about the cross being much bigger in your lives about giving your life to the cross there's going to be a response there to just say you know what I want to do that again today I want to stop living that way and I want to live 100% for God and for others of us I guess it's just a matter of uh getting out there and start telling people about Jesus being what God made us to be, being ambassadors, living each day for Him and with His mission central. And uh, it's funny as I thought about it, I think often we can come away from this and then go, Right, I'm going to pray every morning that God gives me an opportunity to share the gospel today. What we really mean is, I want an opportunity properly on a plate, don't we? We mean, I want to walk into church, into work, and someone just goes, Look, I want to become a Christian. Can you tell me exactly how that happens? That's what we want, isn't it, when we pray that prayer. But realistically, we just need to get out there and do stuff. These missionaries just went and did stuff. And you say, well, what stuff is there? There's a mountain of leaflets. This is where the rubber hits the road, okay? There's a mountain of leaflets just on the other side of that wall. You can go and grab some. You can spend half an hour this week delivering leaflets. That's what you could do. The question is, will you? Don't know. You don't have to, but you could that'd be a way to share the gospel with people. There's Alpha, invite your mates to that. There's loads of Christmas services, definitely be inviting your mates to that. Don't think, I'll think about it and then decide none of your friends are really into Christmas or something. No, just invite your mates to Christmas stuff. 98% of people in Gloucestershire go to church at Christmas. Let's get them here where they'll hear the gospel. Okay? They're good events and your friends will hear about Jesus. Um, Fireworks parties, get your mates to fireworks parties. I've got a new thing that I'm thinking I'm going to work out how to do. On YouTube, I do worship on YouTube, and there's loads of videos that come up of different, of of worship songs, so I use the worship songs. But there's often comments underneath, and often they're, I love Jesus, all nice stuff like that. But every so often someone goes, I hate God, why is he so awful? And you go, woo. That's got to be an opportunity to share the gospel isn't it? Someone's gone out of their way to go onto YouTube to find a Christian song just to say how much they dislike God. There's got to be an opportunity. I saw someone's comment was God asks answers how and uh how and when but he doesn't say why. God doesn't love me that guy needs the gospel and some courageous person had shared the gospel with him on youtube there's loads of chances for us to tell people about jesus but it is about putting ourselves to death and putting him at the center of everything if we did this we could change the world we could change the world hudson taylor who i told you about he spent 51 years in china um The society that he began was responsible for bringing over 800 missionaries to the country who began 125 schools and directly resulted in 18,000 Christian conversions. We can do the same. We can see the same things happening in Cheltenham, but it does mean putting that old consumer gospel to death and living a new life for Christ.